I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This week, I want to talk about designer, performer, and mother of the house, Corey, Dorian Corey. Okay, so um, I'm recording this episode kind of late um, this week. I've just been super busy. It's summertime. What are you going to do? Anyhow, a um, couple of things have been on my mind. Specifically, I, I just couldn't help but be moved by Pence and Billy Graham's weirdness visiting that um, camp Uh in Texas, um, standing there with their arms folded, looking like, almost looking at the tops. In that clip that I saw that, I think, I'm sure it was on all the news sites, but the the clip that I saw on um, Twitter, it looked like they were looking at the top of their heads. Do you know what I mean? Like they were surveying some land or something like that. Like what kind of wanton foolishness and depravity is that, that you would go out of your way to go into what is essentially a detention center with limited resources, none, very little, and stand there looking quote unquote stoic. That's the whitest thing I've ever heard in my life. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like I'm going to show you how I don't care, how just how much I don't care. What are you, 12? Like I don't get it. You're the vice president in the United States and quote unquote uh, a religious leader in Billy Graham or that Graham man. Not, I don't know. Does it matter? Certainly not. Because again, like I feel like ugh. one of these days I'm going to talk about Christianity and my walk with Christianity as it relates to kind of my understanding of what it is. I just feel like Christianity itself has been hijacked for all of its natural flaws and interpretation of the scriptures and things like that, which admittedly all religions have. Um, What I would say is that, man, them daggone evangelicals have hijacked Christianity. And it's upsetting. And it has been. There was a time where I thought I was evangelical, but I was literally I was being literal. Um, Thinking of the Great Commission, um, which is in the New Testament. One of Jesus's last acts directives is to go and tell. um, Tell somebody about what you believe, about what you've seen here, about what you know in your heart. Um, And so that is evangelism. And so my dumb self, I'm thinking when these folks are talking about being evangelical, I'm thinking, oh, they're just meaning the way in which we are supposed to uh, share our knowledge. Do you know what I mean? That's not what they meant. It's a literal political block and it has nothing to do with religion and everything to do with behavior. Um, And anyway, another conversation for another day, but I was just unnerved. Like, I've always known that there was an issue with this administration, and certainly some of these religious leaders, especially these white evangelical religious leaders, just tripping over themselves to act like they're not racist and clutching their pearls every time that they, they the word was even mentioned. Um, 
but basically saying we don't want all these darkies in 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 my country. We yes. it's, it's, the United States is getting too dark, um, and got the nerve to hide behind a religious a religion. Um, another conversation for another day, maybe never, um, because you know religion is a hard conversation and it's very personal too. That's another thing. It's very personal. Everybody wants to talk about religion and and talk about someone else's religion. Religion is so doggone personal. And even if you're not religious, that's still personal too. Like, ugh, anyway. Um, so, so anyway, so that bothered me. And then, oh, Scarlett Johansson. And the just, ugh. What to say about Scarlett and her comments that she feels like she should play anything, including a tree and an animal. Like, the world she lives in is the one of her own making where she's only told what she wants to hear by the people she's hired to tell her. My goodness. Um, anyway, I hope she doesn't enjoy any more success in her life. Um, oh, that was hateful. I wish I, I want her to learn and grow. How about that? That's peaceful. Anyway, um... Yeah, so today's topic, I have been watching FX's Pose, um, and I've watched it actually since it first came out last year, and I watched it largely because, who told me about it? Who told me about Pose? I think I learned about Pose from Marsha's Plate, um, Diamond and them from Marsha's Plate. I could have been, I could have heard it from Queen and um, and Jay from Tea with Queen and Jay. I could have I heard it from them too. Or I could have heard it from Kid Fury and Crystal from The Reed. I, I don't remember. It was one of those three. Um, one of those three told me about Pose and I've been watching it ever since. And like I said, I watched it from episode one uh, of season one. And so, of course, I've been watching it now. And episode three, which was a couple of weeks ago, um, entitled Cocoon, A Butterfly in the Cocoon. Um, really captured me, and especially since I learned that it was based on a true story. So I want to talk about what I'm going to do for this episode is I'm going to talk about the uh, episode itself, Butterfly in the Cocoon, um, talk about what struck me about it and, and all the nuances that was in that episode. Then I'm going to talk about who and what the story was based on that, that, um, and how I know about that person, how I've, I've known about that person for years and, and how shocking it was to learn that. Um, and then kind of talk about just generally a number of different, it's the same old story in that a marginalized person in a marginalized, within a marginalized community does something uh, by means of self-preservation and just kind of talk about that. So what I'm kind of talking in circles, but it'll make sec- it'll make sense as I go along. But basically, um, if you have not watched Butterfly in the Cocoon and you don't want it to be spoiled and then maybe watch this ep- that episode before you listen to this um this show, uh, this episode, but um, if you don't care, just follow along with me because it's very interesting. (music) 
So really quickly, uh, Poe's uh, season two, episode three is Butterfly and the Cocoon. And we find Electra, which was formerly the House of Abundance, the mother of House of Abundance, now the House of Wintour, uh, the mother of the House of Wintour. And what we've known this season is that she's been, even though she's been couch surfing up until she got her own place, she's always had these beautiful furs and expensive clothes around her. And she's been lugging them back and forth from one house to the next. Um, and, but she's never had an explanation as to what, who was giving her this money and why she, you know, how she, she was acquiring these things. And so... What we know is, what we come to find out, I think, at the end of episode two, beginning of episode two, anyway, um, what we what we learn early in the season, because at this point we're at season five or something like that, but by episode three, we've already learned that the reason why she has this money, she's able to afford these expensive garments is because she is a, a mistress um, is that the dominatrix dominatrix at a sex club um is that the right term for the club anyway a fetish club a fetish club is more appropriate um anyway so she's a dominatrix and she's living out helping these men essentially men who are coming in live out their fantasies of being dominated by women and and specifically women I think I don't know if this particular uh, fetish club is staffed by trans women but nevertheless um, that's who we see in the scene and so um, Electra fits right on in she likes telling people what to do she likes being mean and cruel and these men have lots of money for her to do just that um to them and so she's doing her thing and it's like a regular job she punches in and punches out which i thought was so interesting but nevertheless it's a job um it's a job like anything else so she's punching in she's punching out she's got a break room and everything like that so anyway so you know the beginning of the episode three butterfly in the cocoon she's you know, seeing a regular. Um, and we've learned in episode two that this regular liked to do drugs. And so Electra is a staunch um, anti-drug person. She doesn't like it around her. She like, she doesn't, she doesn't do it and she doesn't like it in her presence. And so um, this regular pays her in episode two to allow her or to be given the privilege to take drugs in her presence and so um she you know takes the money she says a certain quote uh, quotes a certain number and he uh, the, her client gives it to her and then you know she proceeds but she's like just this once um because you, you are you're really led to believe that she really doesn't enjoy the use of drugs in her presence um and so I, I guess that was a lead up to what is about to happen in, in, in the beginning of episode three, which is the same regular comes in and, and, you know, they begin to do, you know, begin to play in the way that he enjoys being played with. And so there are harnesses involved and there are restraints involved um, and masks and things like that. And so he's put in one of these restraints and, um, ask for permission to do drugs again um, in order to put him in a particular place, a state of being. And he also has a gas mask to help kind of make sure that 
he gets the most out of his high um, during his experience with Electra. And so she again protests. She doesn't want um, him to do drugs. And so, but again, he flashes more money and she's like, okay, but then, you know, and then she, and then he, he said, he takes the drugs and he says, you know, leave me for about 20 minutes. That's how long it's going to take for the, for the drugs to kick in. Um, so let me just sit here and allow and, and to take this all in and you come back in, in 20 minutes and we can begin. So she leaves the room and then she goes to what is essentially a break room and starts reading and painting her nails or whatever. And she's watching the clock and then she, you know, when the time is expired, she comes back. But when she comes back, unfortunately, her regular is unresponsive. Not only is he, not only is he unresponsive, he is dead. And so begins this epic journey in the episode where, she, you know, Electra goes to her former house daughters um, to figure out what to do. And there's learning there. There's um, camaraderie there. There is, you know, a, a story about women coming together or uh, the the story about people in a, in a family who fight a lot, but they come together in a time of need to support each other, blah, blah, blah. Right. And that's a very meaningful, very poignant part of the story. But the thing that got me was, I think there's a character that her name is Miss Sophia. Shucks. I can't call the name of the character, but she's, uh, she's Latinx. I think she's from South America, Guatemala, could be Guatemala or Honduras. Anyway, um, Guatemala or Honduras. I can't call which one, but you get my meaning. She's from Central or South America, which are two completely different places, but just roll with it. Anyhow, um, so this particular character is, for all intents and purposes, a kind of a heel um, in that this character that uh, Electra finds herself going to with the other, uh, some of her daughters, um, are, uh, is someone who is allegedly like she pumps in silicone, but it's like not the good stuff. She pumps in silicone and, and some of the trans women that want to have a shapelier curves, a shapelier figure. And so, you know, um, and there was a whole storyline about that last season anyway. So long story short, they go to her and they say, we're here because we know that someone has died in your care and you've gotten rid of that body. And, and, and long story short, um, the woman admits it and they go, they set to, you know, handling, um, Electra's deceased regular long story short, they go through this entire process and the woman is explaining the process, which is finding latex. Yeah, it's like latex material and putting the person in the latex material and enclosing them in such a way that there are no seams to be shown. Because if you can find a seam in this latex material as you're wrapping this person up, um, when as the person decomposes, the fluids that would be released from during that decomposition process um will seep out through any seams that are that are shown and so there was a point made of not make making sure that there are no seams to be shown um so that everything can be contained and so they set about um electra uh, miss sophia i think that's her name and um electra's house daughters um 
actually one of her house daughters, um, set to creating this cocoon, uh, cocooning um, Electra's uh, regular um, in this latex. And that, excuse me, once they've done that, um, yeah, once they've done that, um, they put this cocooned person, um, this person's remains in a trunk and that trunk is left in Electra's closet forever to never leave again, um, to be with Electra always. And the entire episode was poignant to me. Don't get me wrong. The whole episode was beautiful to me. Um, because it told so many stories, but the, but what I guess it became more relevant to me after I listened to Marsha's plate and they did a review of it, of the episode. And I came to know that not only was this telling a story about people sticking together, even when they're catty toward each other, but recognizing that trans men, women and women are very, men and women are very vulnerable, especially black trans men and women. And, you know, in a time where they're being victimized or a time where in a situation like that, where a normal person, not a normal person, it, perhaps if she were a white woman, a white cis woman and called the police at that day in that time in that place, that yes, the, the police might've looked down on her, but they certainly wouldn't have locked her up. They would have given her the benefit of the doubt. They would have listened, read, heard her out, heard out her story and she would not have seen a stitch of jail. And in fact, you know, she probably would receive condolences, um, for the tragic situation that she found herself in. But that wasn't the case for a trans black woman in the eighties, um, with a, a deceased person in her presence. Um, nope. And in fact, you'd be hard pressed as a, as a cis black woman, to be in that situation and not be accused and, and criminalized in some way, but especially because she was a trans black woman. Oh, cut it out. No way that she would be, ever be given the benefit of the doubt. No way, no way. So that was poignant in and of itself. The story about the cocoon that Miss Sophia told, um, which I will get into in the next segment, um, or a later segment was poignant too about how she came to know this process and yeah, how she came to know this process and, and how it was used before in the past in her presence. Um, but I found out through Marsha's play by listening to diamond that the situation with Electra, while it was embellished to fit the, the storyline for Electra's character, the, the character Electra and Pose. The situation itself, a deceased person not reaching out to the cops um, and basically wrapping the body up in such a way that it could decompose and, and then put it in a trunk and then or, or putting it up, stowing it away in your in your room, in your room closet was actually based on what was rumors, which actually turned out to be real. Um, a real life story that involved Dorian Corey. Now, Dorian Corey is important for a very specific reason. If you've watched the um, documentary, uh, Paris is Burning, Dorian Corey is a prominent figure in that show 
giving commentary about ball, the ballroom scene in the 80s and being black and being gay. Um, trans wasn't a word at the time, so it, it was just being gay um, and being a performer and things like that. But the entire time, what we know is that Dorian Corey had lived with a decomposing body in his closet. So before I get into the um, mummified remains that was discovered in Dorian Corey's closet following his um, passing, I want to tell you what I know about Dorian Corey herself. So what I know or what is known um, is that Dorian Corey was born in 1937, thereabouts. We're not sure about the month and we're not sure about the date, but we know that she was born in Buffalo, New York. And sometime later, um, moved to New York City um, to pursue, likely to pursue her career, um, academic career at the Parsons School of Design, very famous, world renowned um, design school, having been. Um, I think if you've ever watched Project Runway, that you know um, that the Parsons School of Design is talked about several times there. I think they even sponsor the show or are a sponsor of the show. Anyway, so Dorian Corey was a graduate of um, the Parsons School of Design. But Dorian Corey was much more than a very talented designer, as you might have seen if you saw um, Paris is Burning. Many of the garments that Dorian um, was wearing, especially when you were in the, the... you they went to the ball scenes the the documentary went to the ball scenes and they showed dorian um those were her designs that she was wearing or or manipulations or alterations to other des- her own alterations to someone else's design um so outside of being an outstanding outstanding designer dorian was also a wonderful performer and again going back to the uh documentary that in the times that Dorian was talking about how it used to be, how the ballroom scene used to be, um, there were several pictures, probably from our own personal collection, showing her performing back in the day. Um, and one in particular stood out to me because it was just so, it reminded you of what they said burlesque was back in the 50s um, and 40s and stuff where it was, um, so she had a blonde wig on, um, and it was clear that she had heavy makeup on. She had this white snake or whatever it looked to be. Maybe it was an albino boa constrictor. Um, I don't know snake species and, and, and types. I don't know that. I don't even like snakes. I just know she had a snake above her head. And then she had this bra on, but it was a coupless bra, so her her breasts were out and they were out, honey, and they were sitting at attention. And then she had um, what I can only describe as a bikini bottom that had vertical or yeah, vertical ribbons that had beads and shiny things on them. So 
not so it was like something like a skirt but a skirt that had a few too many of the vertical strips missing so you could still see the have the leg out and was more for flair um and so clearly she was giving some sort of performance um and notice how i keep saying she um because i'm saying it because many of the articles refer to dorian as she um and in fact in the in the photo that i'm describing um, like I said, Dorian had breasts. And so in in researching Dory, because again, I was just fascinated um, by learning that the pose, the, the Electra storyline in episode three was based on Dorian um, in a, an incident with Dorian, a slice of her life. I was just so... I just went and I started to try to read everything I knew about the case, everything I could about the case that was known about the case. And it turns out there's not a whole lot known about the case, but what what spec there's a lot of speculation that has remained and and parts of the speculation is that while some believe that Dorian lived her life as a woman, um some believe that Dorian didn't do that by choice and that she was forced by a lover to augment her body to add breasts and and take hormones and things like that but we don't know we don't know what's what I just remember seeing um her in Paris is burning and feeling like she was an older version of my mama um like a like at the time when I first watched it I must have been and and full disclosure I've shared before I have I have been a documentary buff. I have watched documentaries for as long as I could remember when I could when I could get the remote to myself. We've always had some sort of cable, so when I could get the remote to myself, I would always turn it to HBO, I'd always turn it to PBS or some station that was showing some documentary. And so I don't know if I saw Paris is Burning on HBO or if I saw it on um KCPT. Um cuz you know I'm from Missouri. Anyway, um anyway, I remember seeing it and being just enamored with just understanding, not really sure what I was watching, but knowing that what I was watching was important and that I wanted to watch it again. And I have since watched that documentary a million times. And every time I watch it, I'm I'm drawn to Dorian and I see something in my family about Dorian. I feel a connection to Dorian. Um the the wisdom that Dorian is sharing, the fact that Dorian, again, we not much is known about Dorian's, or at least not much is published about Dorian's life, but clearly Dorian left Buffalo to go to New York to be her authentic self, to have this other life, this life that she wanted. And not only that, but she turned around and became a house mother. And if you were paying attention to the uh, Paris is Burning documentary, um, what we know is that there's a description of what a house mother is and what a house is. And largely a house is a, a family that you've created. And the house mother is the mom that you wanted, that you created. Many of the folks that are a part of the house have been abandoned by their own families, by their own mothers and fathers. Um, and so these houses, it was at one point referred to as a gang, but more so these are support systems. What we know is that they're support systems. And the head of a house is a mother. And Dorian Corey was the head of the house. Corey was a mother to folks in her home 
young people in her home, many of which came from families that no longer wanted them, created an opportunity and a space to allow them to feel wanted, which is not selfish. Well, I guess it could be selfish. There are aspects of that that could be selfish, but it just seemed to me that Dorian was very open, big hearted and caring and and supportive, even though the, the advice that she was giving in the documentary was very much kind of somber. But maybe it was like the advice that was needed for the circumstance they were in. They, were, they weren't living in a fairy tale. They, many, of what, many of them were gay and br- black or brown. And so two strikes against them in a society that didn't find any value in them. So maybe her brand of reality, you know, her brand of, you know, telling it like it is was a, like a safety mechanism in a lot of way, a survival uh, tool given to her children. And so anyway, so we learn all of this. And then we also come to know that, as I, as I mentioned, oh, I haven't mentioned this yet. So Dorian Corey was born in uh, circa 1937, but Dorian Corey died August 29th, 1993. So roughly three years after Paris's burning, the documentary came out um, and she died from AIDS complicated um, and illness. Um, so we understand it to mean that she had acquired um, AIDS and had subsequently passed from complications related to it. You know, it's an immune deficiency disorder. It's immune an immune system attacking disease and um you know, because you have no way to fight illnesses, you can die from a, a, an illness that you might have otherwise lived from, like the flu or um, dehydrated. Well, anyway, so a common a common illness that is serious, but not serious enough if you for to, to cause death if you have a, a healthy immune system. Anyway, so what we know is that she died from complications with AIDS. And upon her death, now we're getting to the part where Poe's borrowed from. Upon her death, friends of hers, as the story goes, went to her apartment, still having her stuff all over, and you know, including old costumes that she had created over the years, and put away in the way that you do, you know, you put your things away that you want to, the, the way that you want to. And so many of her very cool, beautiful garments were in a closet. And so some of her friends went to her apartments um, seeking some items that they wanted to display um, or at least share or wear even, probably even wear um, at an upcoming event. I, you could do the research for yourself, but somehow or another... Her friends went to the apartment for the purpose of getting an awesome garment that Dorian had created um, as a way to honor her. And uh, upon going to the uh, closet and rummaging through it, they found a garment bag, a big old green garment bag. And... You know, they tried to open it, but they couldn't quite get it open. So they cut through it. And in cutting through it, they found what they thought to be what they knew to be remains in that big old garment bag. 
And then they call the police and come to find out it was the mummified remains of a person um, who had passed away at least 15 years prior to her death. So we're talking early, late 80s, actually 70s, sometime in the 70s. And because Dorian had passed, all we know is this person's name. And I cannot remember the person's name. And I apologize for not having it. I have been trying to do this story for a couple of days now. And so some things are fresh. Some things are not. I've taken several takes um, of this. But I don't recall the person's name. But what I would encourage you to do after you listen to this episode, while you're listening to this episode, whatever, is to Google Dorian Corey. She has a Wikipedia page and everything. Anyway, what is alleged is that two things could have happened. This person definitely did die in Dorian Corey's presence. It could have either been a lover that got violent and kind of lends itself to, you know, that story that I shared a minute ago that Dorian augmented her body, not necessarily on her own free will because she had a controlling uh, lover. And so... You know, it it could have been that she was in an abusive relationship and, you know, this was the last straw and that she fought back. And and unfortunately, in this time, she fought back and in fighting back, she accidentally killed her lover and couldn't turn her, turn the person in, you know, couldn't call the police because she's she's black and she's she's queer. She's black and she's a trans like. Who was going to believe her? What what history did she have to say that, what evidence did she have to say that she would have been believed? A black woman in Harlem in a poor neighborhood, um, in a poor uh, uh, apartment complex to be believed, um, especially back in a time where gay and trans folk were considered to be sick, literally medically sick for li- uh, choosing to be who they are. Um, and no shade, but many people still think that trans women have an illness that's making them uh, identify in that way. And that's just, again, very weird. Um, because why would you choose to be per- persecuted? And, and how is that an illness? Anyway, um, but I digress. So anyway, as so the story goes that, you know, she was attacked by her lover and uh, accidentally killed her lover and knowing that she would not be believed and she would likely see jail time, prison time. She instead opted to cocoon the body, as it were. And I'll go into how the cocooning of this person in Dorian's case versus the cocooning of the, the Electra's client in Pose are similar and also different. So that's one story. The second story is that this person was an intruder and trying to harm Dorian having after having broken into Dorian's home in the wee hours, a struggle ensues. The person actually, Dorian accidentally kills this intruder and still comes to the conclusion that I can't call the police. No one will believe me. I'm black. I'm a black trans woman. Nobody's going to believe me. I'm in this poor neighborhood in this poor uh, apartment complex. Let me just do what I have to do. And so we will never know what truly happened because anyone who would have helped Dorian, anyone who would have aided Dorian or would have been around to support her is also gone, was also gone at the time of the discovery. 
Um, again, what we're learning from what we're being reminded in watching Pose is that the AIDS epidemic epidemic took a lot of souls at one time, at one time period, um, for lack of knowledge, for lack of resources, for lack of attention, took a lot of souls at one time. Um, and so, yeah, so it stands to reason. And the criminalization of gay and, and, and queer people, too. And then, you know, lack of resources, lack of opportunity, despair, drug abuse, and engaged in, in, in trying to make money the only way that they were allowed. What we know is that a lot of cis males um, are kind of taught that people can be throwaway, especially people who are considered to be the bottom of humanity. And for a lot of people, uh, gay and trans men and women are considered to be the bottom of humanity. And so, you know, men being enabled the way that they are can treat people, have treated people and have continued to treat people however they choose, chose to, including as trash. And so what we know is that even today, what we're seeing is that a lot of black, specifically black trans women are being, our, our, our lives are being cut short. And that was still true in the 80s and the 70s. And so going back to the fact that there are no, there's no one to attest to what might have happened in Dorian's life. There's just in this, in this moment as to why there is a mummified mummified remains in her closet we will never know because again no one is around to she's not around and no one else is around to attest to what actually happened and she certainly left no notes so anyway um going back to episode three cocoon and the butterfly Electra ending the episode by saying, I'm going to have, this is someone who's going to be with me for the rest of my life. It's exactly what happened with Dorian, that, that mummified remains were, remained with her until she passed. Um, and so you can continue to uh, kind of dissect the reasons as to why Dorian felt that that's what she needed to do. Um, you can certainly dissect the reasons why any person marginalized and abused and takes the who takes the opportunity to fight back and then something negative happens and then they hide it. You can you can spend months, write a whole dissertation, defend your thesis on why a person in that situation would choose to hide rather than turn into a system that is supposed to be set up to support us. But what we understand doesn't always support us, isn't always supportive, doesn't always protect us, isn't always just um, our criminal system. And so talking about the method that uh, Electra and her team used versus the, the method that was used with Dorian, there are similarities and there are differences. So there's definitely the the remains of this person in, in, that was found in um, Dorian's closet were cocooned in, it was plastic and then cocooned in a, uh, a canvas bag, I believe. Very tightly bound person. 
Um, and also lie was used just as lie was used with uh, on Electra's regular um, to cover the smell. And then again, whereas Electra and her crew used um, latex, again, as I said, it was some sort of plastic, maybe it was a plasticky latex and a canvas bag. So it was like a double wrapping. Um, whereas Electra was just, you know, the lie, the latex wrapping really well, stitching very well, and then putting in a trunk. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know what method is better. I don't know what is preferred. What I do know is that it was awful risky and awful. Yeah, it was awful risky because my goodness, decomposition means that there are lots of fluids everywhere. And so whomever wrapped up this this person, the, the remains of this person, did a very skillful, was very skillful um, at doing so. Because how in the world? I'm just curious and maybe morbidly so, but I'm curious as to how in the world you can keep someone's remains that are decomposing in your apartment on hot days, cold days, whatever days, and it not not only the smell take over your entire apartment, but then permeate into the hallways, waft out onto the street. But then again, this was also the, the ghetto. Poor neighborhood, black and brown people. Folks didn't really care. You kept you you minded your own business, so maybe that was part of it too. What we what we know in the Poe situation in in the case of Electra is that she used the lie and other things to mask the smell. And so maybe there wasn't much of a smell unless you got right up on the container that held the remains. And so maybe that was true for Dorian as well. And maybe it was a combination of masking the smell well and also people not caring um, that uh, allowed her to have this body, this the remains of this person um, on her and not having got caught. Um, yeah, I mean, you can sit and speculate. You can say that she was a terrible person. You could say that she did the wrong thing. Honestly, putting yourself in her shoes, could you say that you wouldn't have done the same? I can't say that I wouldn't have done the same. What I can say is that my guilt would have taken my guilt would have overpowered me. And I think ultimately, I think I might have told on myself to my own detriment. I think I might told on my, I might have told on myself because um, I, I don't know that I would have had the energy, had the strength to keep such a secret hidden. That's just not in my nature. Um, but who knows? G under duress, under those extreme circumstances, maybe I would have found the strength. And I think it just kind of goes back to just in general, the stories that, and go with me, but the stories that my mama told me when I was a young girl and the stories that I learned from older cousins and aunts and uncles and things like that. Women, black specifically in, in my case, I'm learning from black women. 
being abused and mistreated by the men in their lives, which is an age old story. And one of the strongest stories or one of the stories that was repeated on both sides of my family, on my daddy's side and my mama's side, is that poisoning, poisoning to teach your man a lesson was a thing. And while it's not accidentally killing someone and then cocooning them and then keeping them hidden in some sort of duffel bag or a trunk for the rest of your life, it's not on that level. It's still very much a survival tactic. I can't physically overpower you and I don't hold the financial purse string. I don't hold the the financial uh, strings here that I have the agency to just leave But what I can control, I will control. And since you want me to cook your food and you trust me with all of your whole heart and you don't even look at what I do, let me go on and slip some of this poison in in your food, not to kill you, but to teach you a lesson. Let me make you really sick. And whether this is an embellishment or not, what I've what I heard on both sides of my family that my grandmother did that to my grandfather when in the times where he was caught cheating and then they, he came home and they got into fights. Um, and what I know is on my daddy's side of the family that women had done that for the same reason on his side. It, it, and, you know, either putting it in the, the food itself or putting some sort of poison in their drink. Again, not enough to kill, but enough to make sick. Real bad sick. Um which is illegal, which is a crime, which you could go to jail for. Um, you could go to prison for, that's prison time. But it's a survival mechanism. And self-defense is a reasonable defense, but it's not, you, it's not applied fairly. And certainly if you're already marginalized, if you're already considered to be someone who is not worth uh, compassion, If you are already not believed, who's going to believe you in this very specific, very dire situation? Who? We we go back to fried green tomatoes. And as much as I don't like that story for how it uses black people, what we know that happened in that story is that this man was abusing um, the sister of this very precocious person, young woman, and so everyone in this woman's small friend group, family group, conspire to not only end the suffering of this woman, but they also dispose of the body. And it sounds fantastic, right? It sounds like a, like a fan, what do you call it? Like a grand story. But what we know about, you know, the case of Dorian Gray is maybe it's not so grand. Maybe this isn't the first time that such a thing has happened. And for that reason, and we can have our judgment. We absolutely can. But what we know is you may never know what you are capable of doing under certain circumstances. The right cocktail of hopelessness and abuse and being scared will drive you to do. And so I just, this whole 
this episode was wonderful in terms of showing what people who are feuding, what people who are fighting can do when they know that they have a lot in common, when they know ultimately at the end of the day, their family can come around and support them. But it also exposes a truth, a, a, a reality, which is some terrible things can happen. And then as a result, some other questionable things can happen. And who are you to truly judge? And so while I will never look at Paris is burning the same again, especially when Dorian Corey comes on the screen, I'm looking at it as a way to say, I want to know more about you. Knowing what I know now, I want to know more. And also understanding that I will never know more. Never will I know more. But that won't stop me from being fascinated by and intrigued by the story of Dorian Corey, a talented designer, performer, house mother, and a person who lived the rest of her days for 15 years or better with the remains of someone she either knew or knew briefly in her closet. Needless to say, I have watched Paris is Burning um, at least three or four times since I uh, since episode three of Pose came out. Um, and I've been with the new knowledge that I've acquired, or at least this new piece of news. I've I, I feel like I've been trying to glean something new from Dorian each time, um, you know, but what are you going to do? There's just certain things that are going to be left unknown in this case and but meanwhile I still just want to try to find out as much about Dorian as I can um and incidentally when I was researching uh Dorian and and her past I came to know that Dorian was not only a a, a performer in ballroom um in ballrooms but that she had performed with the Jewel Box Review of Harlem, I think it is. Anyway, it was a jewel box review. And so what is a jewel box review? But a, um, basically a talent, uh, program, singing, dancing, skits, things like that, where, um, that was popular in the thirties, forties, and fifties, probably even the twenties too, you know, before, um, the internet and, and social media and all of that stuff. And much before, way before everyone had uh, hundreds of TV channels on their sets or even before many people could even afford TV um, in their homes. And if you could afford TV, you only got three channels anyway. So during that time frame, what we know is that folks would go out to these elaborate shows and see people that are highly skilled do their craft, perform their craft, sing, dance, um, tell jokes, what have you. And in these affairs, it was one of those things where you dressed up. You didn't just go in your, in your house clothes. You went out in your best. And it was like a date night t- sort of thing or, you know, let's just a special treat for the family. And so what made the Jewel Box review interesting was that there was literally um, an opportunity for 
there was a portion of the program where men would dress as women and women would dress as men for the point of trying to fool the audience. There would be an opportunity for the audience to determine, um, choose if the, the person that appeared to be a man was truly a man or if, if that person was a woman. And so, um, in many of these cases, if you just take a step back and, and, and pause, the only reason why I know anything about the Jewel Box Review is because I, of an episode that was produced by The Nod, which is a show by uh, Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings. Um, and I think this particular episode about the Jewel Box Review was led by Brittany, like it was her episode. And she was actually talking about a famous performer in the Jewel Box Review by the name of Stormy and some Creole sounding last name. I cannot recall the name, her last name, and I apologize now, but she was um, a lesbian um, who lived her life, um, kind of came into her own living in New York City, um, post Jewel Box Review, and was a figure um, in the lesbian community right up until her passing. Um, and was alleged to be uh, someone who was a part of the Stonewall riots. I'm not 100% sure about that, but listen to the episode of The Nod where it's talking about um, Stormy something. Devin, Devin, it's anyway, it's a Creole sounding last name. Um, anyway, so go listen to that episode. But that's the only reason why I know by, about the Jewel Box Review. And in researching um, Dorian, we know that Dorian performed with the Jewel Box Review and we know that Dorian was a wonderful performer and I just can't help but think that the Jewel Box Review especially for that that opportunity for folks that appeared to be men uh, or looked pre uh, presented as men to be able to dress in women's clothing and, and women likewise was probably the only time many of these folks were able to be who they truly believed who, who they knew that they were um because if you, there were laws against outside of performing, um, someone who appeared to be a man dressing as a woman and a woman, someone who appeared to be as a, a woman dressing as a man, there were actual laws arrestable. These were arrestable offenses. Um, not to mention that, you know, with people could abuse you um, at will if you were caught on the street. Um, doing that and so that's a, a, you know dressing as a as a man if you were perceived to be a woman and so on and so forth and so I can't help but think for many people things showcases like the jewel box reviewers an opportunity for them to live their true life and so if I were able to learn more about Dorian Corey I would want to know more about her time spent in the jewel box review and what it was like and the relationships that she built through the review and what it was like when it ended um yeah anyway I hope you're watching Pose if you're not you really should be there's no reason why we shouldn't be as black folks supporting it um yeah um, so anyway, there's enough about that. Um, like I said, go and read more about Dorian Corey on your own. Um, cause there are many, 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 many articles out there about Dorian and then just generally the circumstance itself. Um, because again, it's not the first time that this thing has ever happened and it's certainly not the last. Anyhow, 
thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, be sure to send me a comment. You, you can uh, send me a voicemail using the link in the show description. Um, you can also, um, while you're there, go, you know, you can go to the page and you can um, leave me a comment. You can like, um, leave me a rating and you can donate if you choose. Um, even 99 cents will be a helpful contribution. But if that's not your thing, um, just again, make sure you're leaving a review, a positive review. Thank you. Um, And that you're sharing episodes with your friends, with your friend groups and your networks. Anyone that you think might find a particular episode that I've done interesting, share it. Um, What I know is that a lot of folks have listened to and enjoyed my Fleabag episode, which thank you. Um, Anyhow. um, Yeah, so keep sharing Um, and definitely you know, share information with me, ask me questions, um, help correct me in love. If I've gotten something wrong, I'm still learning. And I, and I appreciate the opportunity for someone to just point me in the right direction. Okay. Um, so yeah, again, leave me a favorable uh, comment on Castbox. uh, again, anchor, uh, Spotify, Google, Apple, um, you know, radio public, wherever you listen to this, um, show. All right. Thank you once again for listening. And until next time.